really glad that you're here. And I know um, every week as we gather, you walk in these doors and you're coming from different scenarios and different places, different seasons, different things that happen in life, whether you're just an accident, whether you're going through a scenario in life that you never really pictured yourself. Uh, we're family here, and uh, we want to be a, a church family that's lifting each other up and supporting each other. So as you get connected here, I hope that you experience this to be a life-giving kind of place. And so uh, tonight we're launching into this series um, looking at rethinking rich. And uh, I know that there are a few things in life that when you begin to talk about them, everybody in the room doesn't want to be there anymore. In fact, in that moment, you find yourself in a situation discussing things, and you can follow notes on version. If you don't understand that, just ask somebody who's younger, um, and they'll help you. But maybe conversations that describe, if anyone begins discussing in grave detail their medical procedures... You really don't want to be there anymore, do you? you just They're like, here's my ingrown toenail, and I'm going to tell you about it. And you're like, ah, don't. Um, or anybody that begins you know, discussing, I don't know, uh, Justin Bieber. You just you don't want to be there anymore uh, in that moment. Maybe anybody in church that wants to talk about money, you don't want to be there. So please don't leave. <laughs> because here's, here's our aim for this next couple weeks. For the next two Sundays, here's my hope that somewhere, uh, whether this is your first Sunday or this is, you know, maybe your 101st Sunday, that somewhere in here you would say, I have enough respect, maybe for this group, this church, that guy talking, that I'll just hear him out. Because here's what I've been praying for us that we would really kind of anchor down to this idea of what God has for us and is not demanding from us. Because I really believe this is life-giving kind of message. You don't realize Jesus talked about money more than he talked about heaven, hell, and marriage combined. Why is that? Was he obsessed with money? No, look at how he lived. Maybe he knew a secret about how obsessed we can become about resources. And I know for some of you sitting here, you're like, okay, look, dude, I'm in my 20s. Like, I don't make money. And I would say, yeah, you don't. Um, But you make something. And this isn't about an amount or a quantity or a percentage. This is about our heart. At the end of the day, this is always about our heart. And as a church, we want to be a church that leans into the message of Jesus and to the words of Jesus that says, hey, there's something about who Jesus is and who he was and this notion of what he taught about life and how to navigate it. We just came out of a wisdom series and we saw that wisdom, Jesus was wisdom personified. And if the Bible has so much to talk about with resources and money, then maybe we should kind of aim our attention in that direction because if we want to be wise people, then maybe we should pay attention to that. And so that's my hope, is that these next two weeks kind of take us on a journey where you can begin to navigate and figure out from where you are in your situation that you'd have the truth to kind of help you get to where you really want to go. That you don't just pick a path and wake up, you know, a year or 10 or 20 years down the road and go, I'm nowhere close to where I want to be but somewhere in here that God would provide some help for us. And I know um, this is not a series that's going to be like condemning and, you know, challenging. I I think this will challenge you because it's going to be uncomfortable a little bit. And the truth is, that's how we grow, right? And so as we've been kind of going through this, this is is things, 
I remember sitting through sermons on money, and I remember sitting there going, oh, I hate this. Why is he talking about that? And I, I've been there, and I'm still there at times, because this truth kind of grinds at us a little bit. But I hope that we'll have some fun as we kind of go along and as we look at some things here. So this is really kind of going back. I want to lean back into the last series we did on wisdom. Let me just kind of give you the, a, a principle of wisdom, kind of the wisdom of generosity. And there's a verse in Proverbs that says this. The generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will themselves be refreshed. And we've been talking about this path of wisdom and how do we grow in that. And there's a lot of truth that wisdom uh, around this notion of generosity. We try to practice this as a church. In fact, one of our core values that we have is generosity wins. And we want to be a generous church. You all just express that uh, with all the backpacks and everything. Because we want to be a church that lives this out, not just talks about it. So looking at these words of Jesus, how can we begin to kind of look at what the scriptures have to say about our resources and about things that are coming up? So... I want all of us on the count of three to say the word money, okay? One, two, three. Doesn't that just sound fun? It just feels good to say it, doesn't it? Remember when you were a kid and you got your first dollar, right? Maybe your parents looked at you or an aunt and uncle and they say, hey, look, um, anyone ever pull their teeth for money? Like you were that desperate to get money. Okay, you did. Awesome, good for you. Um, So... Others of us were sane, and um, we kind of let that happen naturally. God made it that way, and so it just falls out. Um, but some of you were go-getters, and you wanted money, so you did that. Or maybe you remember aunt and uncle kind of giving you money to, to clean up something or do something like that, and there was something about holding the money. You were like, oh, this is awesome, because you knew it had power. You didn't even know what it means. My, I give my daughter a dollar to kind of go through all the rows after church and clean up all the communion cups and stuff, and to push the seats up. That's what I give her. And... Like, she doesn't even know the power of a dollar, but there's something ingrained in her that goes, I want that. I will do that. Right? And we kind of have this quest. Uh, we have a quest not just for that dollar, but a quest for more and more and more. I, I'm not going to ask you who plays the lottery, but I, I know you probably don't, but or very rarely. But Powerball gets people excited, right? You just look in our culture, it just, and the Powerball gets up over, like used to be over 100 million now, like it has to be over 300 before people get excited. Um, 300 million, <laughs> like that's not exciting. Um, so people get excited about stuff, and they go and they spend a lot of money on that. So here's my question for you. You're going to talk to your neighborhood, the, like three, four people right around you, okay? And I know you don't play the lottery all that often if you do. And, and I, listen, I know if you were to win, you were going to tithe 10%, so that's not one of these answers that you can give, Okay. But let's say tomorrow you're walking down the street, you come out of a store, and somehow by the wind of magic, this ticket rolls up, and you kind of Google it, and you realize, I have a winning ticket for Powerball. What would you do with that? Okay? So you're going to talk to two or three people right around you. You get about 25 seconds or so. What's one of the first things you, you've already tithed? Okay? So what's one of the first things you would do with $100 million that you got? Okay? Go. Dream a little bit. All right, five more seconds or so. 
Anyone, anyone want to share? And I know that's kind of weird. Um, like, just share your money. It's just really, no, I'm kidding. Um, anyone want to share maybe one of their ideas that they had? School loans. How many of you would want to pay off school loans? Yes, a lot of us. Okay, in that. So a lot of maybe paying off debt might be one of those first things you do. Anyone take a trip? You'd want to take a trip maybe around the world. Okay, that's fun to dream. It's fun to go on stuff like that. Um, there's some crazy things we could do. There's amazing shows on TV that will show you what you could do with a lot of money. In fact, I don't know if you've seen the, the one on, I think it's um, Animal Planet, which I don't know why it's on there, but about these like dramatic giant pools that people build. And I watched one the other day. It's like this $2 million pool. It was like, it's the coolest pool. In fact, if you're on version, I put the link in there that you can see it. Like, not right now, because I want you to pay attention, but like later tonight when you're bored after you get home. Um, again, not right now. But uh, So you could go look at that and just see this amazing pool. It's the coolest pool I've ever seen in my life. Or maybe this other show we watch sometimes is this guy who builds tree houses. And I don't know if you've seen that. I think I don't know what show it's on, but it's the, like these amazing tree houses. And you're like, what if a forest fire happens? And just in this, just I think of these, you know, worst case scenarios and all that stuff. But maybe you, anyone grow up on MTV Cribs like me? Okay, MTV Cribs was like the coolest show, and you got to see people like, yeah, you know, I have, I have this asteroid fell, and we made a sink out of it. It was amazing. Um, you know, it's just our beds made out of wood from behind Victoria Falls, where we just had the wood flown in, and it's just amazing what people can do with money. And it's okay, and it's fun to dream. In fact, I do this with my kids sometimes. If it just, hey, if you had a million dollars, what would you? And I just kind of dream with them about it because um, my my ship has sailed, and I just want them to kind of dream a little bit and just think about this idea. What would you do? Because Dad liked to come along um, with that. So just, I'm in ministry. Hey, so. But here's what I know about dreaming about money, and it's and there's nothing wrong about money. I want you to hear that. There's nothing wrong about money. In fact, the Bible has some things to say about it that we'll kind of unpack here in a little bit. But what I know about you, what I know about me, is typically when it comes to money, whatever season we're in, we always have a if I only had number. Meaning, if I only had this number, you fill in the blank of what that number would be. If I only had this salary, if I only had this kind of income, if I only had this kind of portfolio, if I only had this kind of investments, if I only had this number, if I only had this number, then I would be able to do, and you can fill in the blank, I'd be able to do the vacations I wanted to do, I would be able to take care of student loans, I'd be able to take care of, of the debt, I'd be able to have a car that actually has a window that works, you know, just all that kind of, whatever you want to think about. But we always typically have it if I only had numbers. And typically what happens is when we think that way, because our culture kind of ingrains us and pushes us to think that way, is if I only had this number, then I will begin to live the kind of life I'd want to live. And we sometimes get stuck emotionally, financially, and uh, mentally in this, this handicap, this, this big gap between this if I only had number. In fact, this notion of being rich, we're talking about rethinking rich. Most of us don't consider ourselves rich. Why? Because we compare to people beyond us, right? That's the natural thing to do. I'm not here because what's beyond me is my if I only had number. And if I only had that, then I would be rich. And we kind of dream this way, but here's the truth. The goalpost for rich is always moving. In fact, 
how many of you remember the first check you ever got with your name on it? Not like paid under the table thing, but like, you know, babysitting for 10 bucks or something like that. But like you got a check from your first job. And you remember your first job? Raise your hand real high. So several of us, okay? I worked at a driving range, like a golf driving range place, Jack Conrad's Driving Range. It was on River Road. It's gone now. It's a bunch of houses. But I remember working there as a 17-year-old. And I remember getting my first check. And it was this amazing feeling to go into the bank and, like, give them that check. And they would give me money. And then the second time I went and I gave them the check and I opened this account where they hold on to my money for me. And they give me these little things called checks. For those of you who are, like, 20, they're real. You don't use them, but they're real. They really existed. And so, like, you have a check. You could write things on this check, and, like, people would take it as money. It was weird. Um, And so you would have all this kind of stuff. And I remember feeling so rich. Jack Conrad's driving range was literally in the middle of nowhere at that time. And it was one of those weird things. had this old bakery truck that would always break down. I'm not mechanically inclined at all. And so, like, I would have to call him to come fix it. And it was, it was like a horror movie waiting to happen, okay? Because I'm the only one out there at night picking up thousands of golf balls. And it's just, I kind of reenacted Thriller all the time uh, in my dreams out there going, I'm going to be stabbed and no one will know for days. And just, and just all this kind of, you know, stuff that would happen. But the checks, they made it all worth it. Because I was like, that's, that's money. But here's the deal. If I were to have, like anyone remember Back to the Future? If I were to the 27-year-old me, if they would somehow hop in the DeLorean and kind of drive back in time to the 17-year-old me, and they would say, hey, 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 17-year-old Jack, you think you're rich now. You wait a decade And you're going to be making four times what you're making. Do you know what 17-year-old Jack would say? What? He must be filthy rich. Not really. But I would feel that way, right? If I could go back in time. Think about it. If you could go back in time five years or ten years to you and say, just wait, just wait. It gets better. But see, now you're you. And what you feel like is, man, if I only had. And, and suddenly you don't feel rich. See, the goal line of rich is always moving, isn't it? And it's always moving further. In fact, um, there was a study done by the Gallup poll, and they said, uh, how do you define rich? And here's how most people from different social economic classes and statuses, here's how they defined rich in essence double what I'm making now. At the end of the day, no matter what status or level you are on, no one considered themselves rich in that moment. Even people making 100000 a year said, I'm not really rich. People who make 200000 they're rich. Or people who are, you know, half a millionaire, they'd like to, well, a millionaire, they're rich. So it was always double what they were making. See, one of the biggest challenges when thinking about rich is this idea, one of the biggest challenges facing rich people is they've lost their ability to recognize that they're rich. Because if, if I only had is the number that's always pulling us forward. And so much of our culture pushes us to get rich And listen, so much of the scripture is pulling us to say, I want you to be rich. 
And there's a drastic difference between this pursuit of trying to get rich and this pursuit of trying to live out who, I've, who I am in Christ in being rich. That isn't affected by your accounts and the numbers that are in them. And so this poise is always part of our life and always kind of calling us. Uh, maybe you remember this quote from John Rockefeller, who was a really rich dude a long time ago. Uh, he was asked, how much money is enough? And he answered, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. How much is enough? Just a little bit more. Don't you feel that? Don't you feel that tug in your own heart, your own life? I do. I think part of it's the culture that we live in. The truth is there's a huge difference between a life aimed at getting rich and a life aimed at being rich, living richly. And I think so much of the scriptures, so much of what Jesus shared, so much of what the New Testament writers shared is about helping the people of God recognize that they're rich and to live that way. Now, you may not feel rich, but the truth is, I'm putting it in you version, there's a globalrichlist.com. If you go there and you put in your annual salary, if you make $45,000 a year, you are in the top 1% of the world. Think about that. Of the world. Now, we compare ourselves with people here. But if you just look at the global network, net worth of everybody, you make more than 45, you're in the top 1% of the world. You make more than 25, you're in the top 5% or 6% of the world. And some of you are like college students, you're like, I only make 10 a year, maybe. Well, you're in the top 16%. There's 84% of the world is behind you. Now, in America... We don't, like, those numbers don't compute, do they? In fact, I'm, I'm telling you that, and you're like, that doesn't make sense. You can look it up yourself. But it doesn't compute, because in our culture, our comparisons are just so radically different. It's radically different. Here's the idea. If you walked to a closet this morning, and you had options, you're rich, friend. If you woke up this morning, and you had a roof over your head, you are rich. If you could drive here, buy a latte on the way, and tweet out on your cell phone that you're rich, you're rich in comparison to most of the world. So the big question becomes, how then should I live as someone who is rich? Not in the comparison game, because the comparison game is what the world wants you to play. Hey, if I only had, if I only had, and the truth is what the scriptures are trying to pull us to is, I don't want you to live with this pursuit of trying to get rich. It's not wrong to get money. You can get more money. I hope you do. But at the end of the day, the wise life is the one that lives most aimed at being rich and aiming their life at how to live richly. That's what matters most. And the scriptures actually have some things to say about this. And so I want us to kind of turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you're kind of new to the Bible, it's way to the right. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. It's on you version there if you want to follow along. But um, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he has some words to people uh, who are much like us. People who uh, maybe don't feel like they're rich, but in the, in the world scheme of everything, maybe you're beginning to get an inkling of maybe I am. Maybe I have more affluence than I, I, I want to give credit for or, or understand about. And I just want to kind of get my feet set and understand this idea of how do I begin to live 
richly. Paul is writing to Timothy and to this young church, and he says, I I want you to teach them these things. In fact, he uses the word command. And in command, he's literally saying, uh, do it. That's what commands mean. If you're in the army, you get this. And so, like, commands is this notion of, it's not just optional. It's not if you feel like it. What he's trying to drive home is that you want to live this way if you're aiming your life at following Jesus. And if at the end of the day, if that's your aim and that's your goal because you've discovered him and he's rediscovered you, you found life in him and through his grace and his death and his resurrection, and you're aiming your life at trying to be more and more like him, Jesus spoke so much about our hearts when it comes to our resources and this balance that we have to keep. And so much of our world wants to pull us away from it. And what the scriptures are saying, I want you to kind of pursue this notion of living richly. And so in 1 Timothy chapter 6, here's what it says, verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant and not to put their hope in their wealth. Let me ask you. Do you know people? Do you see people on TV? Have you read about people who are arrogant about their resources? We all have. It's just about every TV show, right? Or at least every reality show. We understand. We've seen people in this example, and there's a part of it that bristles against it, and yet there's a part of it that we go, man, I wish I had those troubles, right? If we're just honest. But he's saying, look, I I want you to tell people who are rich in this present world, don't become arrogant about this. Don't become, don't let your resources take you to a place of arrogance and away away from humility and away from this sense of gratitude. Don't let it get to these places. Uh, Which, let's see, be arrogant in order to put their hope in their wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. You will put your hope and trust somewhere. You will. It's your default. You automatically, as a human being, you will do it somewhere. The choice is yours. And so what Paul is writing to Timothy and to this young church, he's saying, look, when you have resources, and everybody does, don't let it pull you away uh, to, to kind of move toward this notion of uh, I'm believing and trusting and putting my hope more in my stuff than I am the one who provided it. And he said there's a natural pull that wants to go this way. Don't let it happen. It seems counterintuitive when we start talking about money to put your hope in God who richly provides for you. See, part of the tension when we start talking about money in church, and, and I get this, I understand this, is man, if I trust God with my money and trust Him with my resources, I won't be able to do anything fun. Right? Don't you feel that way? That if I truly go after and say, okay, preacher guy, uh, I'm going to trust God with my resources, He's just going to take all the fun out of it. He's just, I'm going to have to give everything away to the poor. I'm going to have to, you know, just, and that's part of, and I get it. Listen, I know you're laughing because you're uneasy and it, it, it's okay. You're allowed to feel uneasy because part of you really feels that. But I want you to hear what, what Paul's writing. Here's what he says. To put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for your, what? Enjoyment. God Jesus only asked one person to give away everything they ever had. The rich young ruler. It's the only time you'll find in the scriptures where Jesus actually said, go give away everything. 
we always live in this fear that if I really trust God with my finances, that he's going to have me give away everything. And I'm going to have to live like, ugh, so different. And we have this disdain in us, this mistrust in that. And here's the only thing I can tell you. Having um, been working this out in my own life over the last 20 years or so, as someone who's said, okay, the best I know how in the season I'm in, God, I, I want to put you first. I have more fun now than I've ever had. I mean that. I really do. I don't feel bad about doing some things and splurging in some ways. Why? Because I'm putting God first. And I've made that a priority. Now, I didn't start that way. And I lived in a lot of fear for a lot of years. You know, early on, I'm just being brutally honest. Early on in our, our marriage, man, we just, we didn't have money. But we had these things called cards where they give you stuff. And you don't have to pay them. And so, like, you go in, you find stuff, and you're like, I get to take it home? Yeah. Okay. And so we took it home. And, you know, for us, that was a journey that we were on. And then we finally got to a place where um, a few years ago we said, uh, that's a bad pattern. Like, that's taken us on a path that we don't like to be on. And so much like this wisdom series, we kind of said, well, we can't do that. So we cut them all up. And we just stopped. And that was hard because there was a lot of different things we had to say no to. But now working our way out of that, there's more freedom now. And here's the truth. This is all about what God wants for you, not just from you. And if God wants you to live in this freedom, especially when it comes to our resources and our finances, they always say one of the most biggest stressors in marriage is finances, right? One of the biggest stressors in your life is finances, right? So if we could, as a church and as individuals, start to get our arms around, okay, how would God want me to begin to manage this? And this is what I'm going to look at in week two, is a lot of practical stuff, okay? So this is kind of theory, and we'll get some practical stuff here in a second, but a lot of practical stuff next week. And if you're in your 20s, I'm telling you, it, it's worth gold for you if you would just harness some of these truths and some of these tools that we'll talk about next week, okay? So this notion of saying, hey, command those who are rich. Don't become arrogant. Don't get to this weird place. God's not trying to rob all the joy out of life. He wants you to trust him. It goes on, verse 18. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. The one who is generous will himself be refreshed. Remember? There's this wisdom in generosity. And there's not this fear. Money is not a bad thing. In fact, it's an amoral thing. It's a tool. It's neither bad nor good. Sometimes we hear in church, okay, money is like the root of all evil. No, no, no. The love of money is the root to a lot of evil. 1 Timothy 6.10. Just look back a few verses. The love of money. So maybe what Jesus is talking about when he talks about money and resources more than marriage, heaven, and hell is he understands this principle, this truth, that obsession, love, desire for, if you don't control that and harness that, it can take you to some places where you don't want to be. 
be generous to the Lord. Be generous in how you live. Be generous with what God has generously given you. Carve into your heart and into your character this notion of generosity. You are doing that really well as a church. We try to practice this. It's not just words we talk about. It's words that and the next week as we have a little bit of family chat to kind of say, here's where we are as a church and what we're trying to do and, and how you partner in that. We're going to talk about that because I don't want people to be in the dark and I want to be open and honest about everything that we're doing and about that what you're doing and how to help you. So you want to carve in and begin to ingrain into our character this heart of generosity. So let me get kind of practical and look at some application here. So how do you begin to apply this notion of, okay, command those who are rich, and maybe I'm, I'm discovering anew and afresh today that maybe I am more rich than I think. Maybe I should aim my life a little bit more at trying to be rich and live richly versus the world's pull of just trying to get more rich. And there, that will always be a tension. That is not a problem you will solve. It's a tension you will have to manage. And you will have to manage it in a season when you're single. And you'll have to manage that in a season when you're married. And you'll have to manage that in whatever season of family or that comes after that. You will have to manage that in your season, that tension of how do I live richly. Here's uh, three things I wrote down. Number one, choose to put your trust more in God than in your stuff. You choose where you put your trust. It may be as simple as this, friends, literally. And this is going to sound weird, but it may mean like if you love clothes, like your closet is full. And then like the things outside of your closet are just like your exercise equipment just holds stuff that clothes can hang on. And you're like, hey, this is another place to put shirts and stuff. That's awesome. Um, maybe you need to go to that and you need to say, okay, God, wow, I need to trust you more than this. And so if I need to get rid of some of it or like this next season line is coming out and these clothes are like oh, six months old, um, then maybe you need to learn to say to yourself, you know what, God, you, you gave me the opportunity and the ability to have these clothes. You know what? And I'm trusting you that they're going to make it another season. I don't need the newest line. And maybe for you, that's a practical thing that you need to do. Maybe you need to go to your garage and you need to say, God, I want to trust you more than this stuff. Maybe you want to walk through your house or walk through uh, the things that you have uh, control over and just say, God, I want to be a person that puts my hope and my trust in you more than this stuff. I want to put my hope and trust in the one who provided the ability for me to create and get this stuff. And that's a tension that you always have to have. And so you always have to make room. And so here's my question to you. Is gratitude growing in your life? Friends, I believe this with all of my heart. That someone who follows Jesus and is growing spiritually, they will be deepening their gratitude and widening their generosity. I think those are markers of spiritual maturity. They really are. I can fake how many verses I can quote to you. I can fake how spiritual I look. But when the rubber meets the road and I'm actually living out of gratitude more and I'm actually beginning to live more generous, 
Those are tangible things that I think the Spirit of God begins to work in our hearts and to say, put this on priority. Now, are the other things important? Yes, you should read the Scriptures. I implore you to. It will change your life. It really will. But, allow gratitude and generosity to take deeper roots into your life. Here's the second one. Um, I know many of you may be sitting here, well, I want to upgrade. That's fine. You can upgrade stuff. It's okay. Uh, money's a tool, remember? It's, it's not a bad thing. It's not a good thing. It's a tool. If I had a chainsaw and I was using it, that's a good tool. If I gave it to my two-year-old daughter, not a good tool, okay? And so money with maturity has this ability of saying, how do I use it more wisely? How do I begin practicing being rich? The second thing I put this is start practicing now. Start practicing being rich now. So much of our life is aimed at getting rich And there's this huge biblical difference. How do I begin to practice being rich now? See, here's one of the lies we believe. We often believe that if I wait, then I'll be able to do more. If I wait till I have the if-only number, then I'll be able to actually be the generous person I want to be. Here's what I know about you. You want to be generous. One of the principles that our family practices a lot is do for one what I wish I could do for everyone. And so from time to time, we're able to do things that we wish we could do for everybody. But we will pick one or one organization or one person or one family, and we will bless. Because we want to be generous. I don't have the capacity, resource-wise, to do that for everyone. But I can do it for this one. And so I just begin to practice that. Now, can you practice that as a college student? Yes. Here's how. Tomorrow. Or the next day when you're going through the commons at U of A, right? And you're buying lunch. And you see someone else that you know they could use lunch, but maybe they're, or or whatever the situation might be, buy them lunch. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. And begin practicing this principle of how do I begin to live generously? To kind of have this generous heart forming within me. A lot of people uh, have chosen to kind of do this in a lot of ways here by becoming a, a percentage giver, by saying, hey, I'm going to carve out and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give to Element City Church and everything that happens. And next week as we talk about this family chat, I'm going to explain kind of all this stuff and how it works and so that no one's in the dark about it and so that we know uh, moving forward. But a lot of people have chosen to say, hey, I'm going to do this. I, I want to make my church. Here's what I believe. I believe the local church is the hope of the world. I really do. To the bottoms of my toes, I believe that. I know of no other power on this planet who can change lives drastically, communities impacting them, than the local church lived in a healthy way. And this is what we always say. Real ministry takes real money. It's not fake. It's not real. It's not make-believe. It, it takes resources to make things happen. And so for a lot of you, you've chosen to say, hey, I'm going to be a part of the local church. And this is what I believe Paul is really getting to, to Timothy and to this early church. It's saying, hey, you tell the people who have resources to leverage those in a way for the greater good of my kingdom and the movement of Jesus in this world. Now, we give to the local church, to our church. That's what we do. And we've done that for years. We also give to other agencies, and that's good, and you should do that. But we always have said the local church is what we want to support and do and give well. We've got um, a lot of people here that do that. And I'm going to challenge you. 
that if you haven't, uh, to maybe take us up on something. Uh, something we're going to call the 90-day challenge. And it's as simple as this. The 90-day challenge is, in fact, if you have that uh, slide, I'm going to skip ahead to that one, Elizabeth. Um, the 90-day challenge is this. If you would just text 90, like if you're not giving here at all, then I would say, and you call Elements home, like you call this your home church, then I would challenge you to say, hey, try it for 90 days. You figure out what that's going to be. I'm not tracking it. No one's tracking it. And if you quit before 90 days, guess what? No one's going to know. If you quit after 90 days, no one's going to know. So maybe take God up on his challenge and on his word and say, I want to start living richly. Here's the third point. Living richly toward God. That you begin to say, okay, I'm going to be a person that puts my trust in God more than my stuff. I'm going to start practicing now. How do I grow this generous heart? And maybe live by that principle of do for one what you wish you'd do for everyone. And then start living richly toward God. A lot of people do that by giving here and giving elsewhere. But they're just saying, hey, I'm going to be a person that puts this on the radar screen of my life and, uh, and makes this a priority. Well, it's what I always tell people in the starting point. Uh, think priority and think percentage. Whatever that's going to be for you. You just put it on the radar screen of life and begin doing this because the local church really is the hope of the world. I really believe that. You know, for Amy and I, it's been a journey. Um, honestly, it's not easy, is it? For some of you, you may be sitting here and like this last five minute section, you're like, ah, it's the guilt section. <laughs> shake it off, shake it off. Um, listen. This isn't about guilt, okay? This is about you. For some of you, you're at a place and stage in life or a, a season of life where if it was just you and me in the room and we're sitting at, at Starbucks and having coffee and I bought it for you, okay? And we're just sitting there and you could be honest. Maybe you would say, man, you don't know how tough it is right now. And I would say, I'm so sorry that you're there. How can we help you? One of those ways, uh, we believe in this a lot, is uh, the Financial Peace University class. We did a class of about 10, 11 students in, um, in the spring, and we're getting ready to start that again here in September 17th. And we've got some people that are ready to lead that and walk you through. It's a DVD series from Dave Ramsey. It will literally walk you through some very biblical, practical steps to help you from where you are get a little bit closer to where you want to be. And so if, if you're at a place in a season of life where you're going, I need some help, then I'm telling you, this is a nine-week class that literally can be super life-giving to you. So if that's you, consider it. I'm challenging you. Take it. Don't stay where you're at. Everybody can take a step forward to where they want to be. That was the decision that Amy and I had to make. Where we got to a place and we said, you know what? We can either keep spinning our wheels where we're on and we're just going backwards. Or we can say, we've got to do something. And so we started that. It took a long time. But you know what? We're in a much better place than we were. Are we where we want to be? Not yet. But we're in a much better place. And that's the, the challenge for us as a church is to say, we want to be generous people. We want to be a people that have that carved into our DNA and who we are because God's generosity is amazing. We live in the shadow of his generosity all the time. And that's how gratitude begins to grow in your heart to think about all the things he gives you. 
for free just because you're one of his favorite kids. He loves you. And how can I then respond in a, in a different way other than I want to be generous back to God? And so here's the challenge, lastly, again, for you. If you are not giving to this church, I'm just going to put it out there. Why not try it for 90 days? Between you and God, you figure it out. In fact, if you will text 90 to our phone number, uh, you're going to get sent a link to our site. We actually put on the giving page a whole bunch of tools. So if you're sitting here going, I don't know how to make a budget. Well, we put a budget tool on the website. You can download it for free, rip it off, take it, whatever you want. Uh, if you have like a ton of debt and you're like, I don't know how to move forward. Well, we put a debt elimination uh, budget tool on there. You can download it, rip it off and figure it out. Okay. Maybe check out the FPU class. There's information about that. But here's my invite to you. Start now. Maybe this week it's as simply as this for you. How can I do for one what I wish I could do for everyone? And just take a step and start living this out. If this is what the kind of life Jesus calls us to, then it's not a life of just education. And I get it to know it in my head. It's, it's a life of walking this out, living and becoming the kind of generous people that I know you want to be and I know that you are. As a church, we have done some amazing things within this city and we have so much more to do. And we're going to keep living this out. And we get to practice that and experience that together. So I want us to kind of live in the generosity of God. We've carved out a little bit of time for worship. So if you're new, uh, typically we worship a little bit. Uh, this guy will come up and talk for a little bit. And then uh, we'll have some time where we take communion and have another song of worship. So that's what we're going to do in the next few moments. And so I just want to give you some space to think about and process. Maybe some stuff that's uh, kind of pricked your heart a little bit. Maybe you're feeling uneasy and you say, God, this whole finance thing, trust, hope. I don't know. Just you and God have a moment. And then I want us to kind of live in the generosity that we recognize in communion. That Jesus came on a mission, a rescue mission for you, for me. And whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, maybe you're sitting here and kind of coming back into church, and I think it's awesome that you're here. Keep coming. We want this to be a place that helps people in their spiritual journey and where you can begin taking steps of investigating it for yourself. And communion is remembering God's, uh, Jesus' body and his blood given for us, the forgiveness of our sins, the redemption of our lives, the renewing of us living more of who we are created to be. And then I want us to sing and worship about this. And so you think about in this time, maybe a step that God has for you to take in this idea of how do I aim my life at being rich, aim it more that way than what the world's trying to me to aim at getting rich. And how do I navigate that tension? So Father, I pray that you would help us as we begin to live that out, as we begin to become a church and a people that experience more and more of what it's like to be rich and to practice that. God, whether you ever trust us with millions and millions, I don't know. But Father, at the end of the day, we want to practice being rich long before we may even get rich. And we want to live in the shadow of your richness, the grace and the hope and the life that you poured out at Calvary and what you gave us in the sacrifice of your son and his resurrection, most importantly. So we remember tonight. As we take this communion, we remember that there was a cost. There was a cost for Jesus to come and pursue me. But he thought I was worth it. He thinks that I'm worth it. He believes in pursuing me, pursuing us.
And we want to be a people that live out of that gratitude and live out of that grace and just worship you in the midst of it. So we pray that you'd move in these moments ahead. We love you, Jesus.